I'd like to share a story that's told by Randy Harris. He was, he's a professor at a Christian college, and if you go to a Christian college, you know that there's a certain number of required religion courses, whether you want to do it or not, you have to take them. And so his class was one of those that tended to be taken, kind of a popular uh, teacher in the school, and so he had a freshman class, 250 people in that freshman class. And so he had to work to be very creative, trying to make the subject matter interesting. The class was on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and he'd come to this particular passage and was trying to think, how can he make this interesting, especially to somebody that doesn't know the difference between chapter or a verse in the Bible? So he walked into class and he got an idea. He saw a student who had gotten there early at the back of the class, so he went back to him, we'll call him Joe, said, now Joe, what kind of acting skills do you have? And his answer was, well, none at all. Well, I think you can do this. What do you mean? Well, here's what I want you to do. You know, every <clears throat> session I always say, please turn off your cell phones. Well, today I'm going to make a big deal about it, and I want you to make your cell phone go off right in the middle of the class. <clears throat> and I'm going to make a big deal about it. I'm going to come back and, and charge at you, and so don't ever touch me. But we want to try to make them believe it. And Joe said, well, that'll never work. He said, yes, it will if you just don't overact. Just, just play along as best you can. So... Class has started right in the middle of class. The cell phone goes off, and, and the professor marches back there, starts yelling at the student, what is it about turning off your cell phone you don't understand? I know you're an athlete, but those are one-syllable words. So Joe stands up, and he says, what's your problem? You're my problem. And... He just kind of has a little silence. He starts picking up his books to start to leave, and he starts walking out, and he says, if you don't turn around and start heading back this direction, I'm coming after you. Well, he didn't stop, so he, the professor starts charging up and gets right in his face. The class knows they're about ready to start fist to cuss. And right at that moment, Randy throws his arm around him and says, Gotcha! And here was the weird thing. The whole class was so stunned. They, they couldn't laugh. They, they were just crickets. He said it took about five minutes to get them to realize that this was just a joke. They could relax and, and see the humor in it. So then he asked, why was it that you found this so believable? I've not done anything in the six weeks you've been taking this class to even suggest I'd ever react like this to someone. He says, the reason is because our world is so crazy that it's very believable. And Randy Harris is right, isn't it? We live in a world that's gotten very crazy. We've come to expect the unexpected too often. I came across a Facebook thread in my feed. This will probably sound kind of familiar to you. And please, no, I'm not making any political statements one way or another. I just want you to hear the rancor that sometimes gets into our social media. So this Facebook thread was posted by one of my classmates. I don't know if I've ever talked to him since I graduated from high school, but we've connected with Facebook, and so uh, he gets my feed and I get his feed. Well, here's the title of something he, a video he had shared. Obama lied on Iran and attempted to undermine United States policy by funneling billions through the euro. 
Now Congress may be coming after him. Where is the media on this? Any guesses where that thread went? It didn't get pretty. Let me just share a few things that were said. One person called for a public hanging of our former president. One said, media is evil. Boycott all newspapers, magazines, local TV news. We need to put them out of business. What are you going to watch after you do all that? Ban the media for distracting the American public using immigration, immigrant children as a distraction for what is going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Another one said, Odoma and Hillary make Al Capone look like an outstanding citizen. And the other side got a little ugly, too. It brought out the anti-Trump crowd. There were posts that shared some facts about this particular issue, but here's one that said, Russia, 17 indictments, five guilty, charitable trusts, Stormy and others, immigrant children, EPA, EPA chief, a wall, taxes. I could go on and on. Does your Facebook feed ever look like that? Yeah, yeah, not pretty. There's so much anger in our country. What we saw displayed in Maryland this week, a shooter going after our newspapers, it's just another step in the escalation of the violence and anger that's in our country. And obviously, these shootings, they are the result of people who are disturbed. They do need mental health. But it's like there's our country's in this pressure cooker. It's got so much steam built up that it just comes popping out in horrible ways. So how can we reduce that pressure? I think Jesus' words are just incredibly relevant to our times. And, and if we understand the way he presents this, I think it makes even so much more sense to us. You see, in the Sermon on Mount, Jesus is trying to show us what the kingdom of God is like, and his desire, his hope, is to bring it down here on earth, that we begin to live the way we're going to live someday in heaven. And it's not just asking us to follow some external law, this isn't about you being worried about every time you have a feeling of anger. This goes so much deeper. Jesus is saying that anger, that murder begins with anger. It starts in our hearts. And, and he shares this continuum that there's so much damage that takes place from, from that, that quick thought of anger to murder. And there's everything in between. And the more that you foster that anger, the more you let that build up within yourselves, the more bad things happen. And everywhere in between is an aftermath of hurt feelings and relationships broken down and division that continues to last forever. It's how people get hurt. And Jesus describes this continuum. He starts by saying that whoever says raka, you could translate, that's an Aramaic word, and the translation of that word means empty-headed or a fool. And then he says that you'll be liable to judgment. Then he says if you happen to say fool, that's translated for us, but that's really not a great translation. If I was to translate this accurately, I'd have to use profanity, and I'm just not going to do that today. But that's what that word is. And then he says you'll be liable to hell. He's talking about that escalation that takes place, and it continues to escalate. Jesus knows that the problems we are experiencing right now in our society, the beginnings of hate and violence, has become so common, and the only way to solve that is to begin with our hearts, to be changed from the inside out. Now, we need to understand this is so important. It's important for this week. It's going to be important next Sunday when we talk about lust. 
The solution is never, never suggested by Jesus that the way we solve these problems is through suppression of those feelings. These are God-given feelings. Our anger is something that, that God's given to us. Probably most of us hardly get through a day without having some emotion of anger in some degree, in some fashion. Some of us more than others. The solution's not just trying to stop that, trying not to have it. The solution is acknowledging those feelings and then deciding what you're going to do with them. Are, are you going to dwell on them? Are you going to let them take you over? You're going to focus on them and let it fester? Or do you use that anger towards something constructive? Constructive in the matter of trying to do something that's going to make the situation better. Constructive in, in being able to have the courage to go and talk through that person that you're having trouble with. Or perhaps it's the realization there's something going on in me that I need to reconcile within myself. What is the reason for me having all this anger in the first place? Instead of dwelling in it, instead of letting it fester. And this is how important it is to Jesus. The solution is to purposely, intentionally work towards reconciliation wherever we're experiencing that anger. If you read your Old Testament, you'll discover how important worship is. There's, what, 613 laws in our Old Testament. Probably a couple hundred of those have to do with the ceremonial practices of worship. Worship was incredibly important to the Jewish people. The expectation was that, that you go to synagogue or you go to the temple. Understanding if you, you live within traveling distance, you were to go to Jerusalem for the great festivals, especially the festival of Passover, at least once a year. And even if you lived far away in the Roman Empire, the expectation would be that sometime in your life, you'd go to the, to the temple in Jerusalem and you'd offer your gift of sacrifice, typically an animal sacrifice or a grain sacrifice. And here's what Jesus says. If you take that gift to the altar and you know that someone has something against you, you leave that gift at the altar and you go and take care of it. Take note that it doesn't say if you've got something against someone else. It says if somebody's got something against you, even if it's not your fault, even if it's not you that's harboring the anger, you have that responsibility to go and make things right before you try to worship God. That's how much God cares about our relationships and what we do with our anger. And then he gives even a very practical example. He's sharing where two believers who should have the means to get this thing resolved have allowed some to get the point of going to court. And it reminds them of what could happen. So you're going to put your future in the hands of a third-party judge and you have no idea how they're going to rule. You may be so convinced that you're right, but that judge may rule to the otherwise. And he might decide that the debt that you owe, that you don't think you owe, is so great that you don't have the money to pay for it, and therefore you could be put in debtor's prison, and you end up in jail. Do you want that? Jesus shares these very practical examples because anger requires very practical solutions. You know, we've got some golden examples of forgiveness in our history. Remember the name Corey Tinboom? I had the pleasure many years ago hearing her in person here in Indianapolis. I listened to her speak about she was a Holocaust survivor. And she met up face to face with the leader of the concentration camp. She saw the atrocities that he oversaw. She talked about the anger 
that she had, and she felt God telling her that she has to forgive him or she's going to be controlled by him the rest of her life. And she chose to forgive. And that person came to Christ because of that forgiveness. We have other great examples. You go to South Africa. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, after years of oppression, imprisonment, when they were finally freed and finally came to the solution of how to settle apartheid, didn't resort to violence, didn't resort to revenge. They chose reconciliation. And now today you can find in great books and speakers people coming out of Rwanda after the genocide that took place between the two tribes and the stories of forgiveness and reconciliation taking place. And we have wonderful examples, golden examples of people who followed the example of Christ and chose to forgive and reconcile. And so the call for us is do we take that same step in the challenges we have in our relationships, in our world, with people on the other side of the politics that we may be so passionate about? Can we love them and see them as God's people? So when you go to your social media, before you read that post that you're just so angry about, before you press that send button or that post button, stop and visualize that person and realize that God created this person, whether I like them or not. When you find yourself wanting to shout back at someone because of something they've done that hurts you, pause, take a breath, pray about it. And I encourage you to make sure that you take time each, out of each and every day to pray for this world and pray for that spirit of reconciliation be placed within us that, that we might begin to set the tone for our world, for our community, for our nation, that we'll be people of peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. May we work towards that. So we have to be very intentional about reconciliation. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't come from being passive. It means we have to be actively pursuing it. We have to work at it. Let me close with this story from Trevor Hudson. He's a Methodist minister in Johannesburg, South Africa. He wrote a book called Discovering Our Spiritual Identity, and he shares how his wife pursued reconciliation in their relationship because that's probably where we have the most anger, right? With our spouses? Just saying. It's where the greatest chance is, right? We interact all the time. But this is what his wife did. You see what was going on is that Trevor was in a new church. Things were going well. Tenants was up. Money was getting better. Plans were in the books to, to start to build a new sanctuary. All was looking great, except he was spending so much time everywhere else but home. His wife was feeling neglected. And so this is what she chose to do. She wrote a note. It's right on his bedside table. Came home, she was already asleep. The note said, Trevor, I love you and want to be married to you. Sometimes I worry, though, that one day I may not be worried if you don't come home. I miss you and want to reconnect. And that woke Trevor up, and they were reconciled. So I leave you with this thought today. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves, to whom do we need to drop such a note? To whom do we need to drop such a note? Let us pray.
Lord, right now, before we partake in this blessed sacrament, may we make sure that our heart's in the right place. Especially if we have something against someone else, may we lift that up to you and ask for your, your forgiveness to surround ourselves, your grace to take hold. If somebody has something against us, may we decide, maybe we make the decision to go and open a conversation and find the ways that we're going to reach out and try to resolve that situation, even if it's not us who's holding the resentment. Bless us now as we come as your people to be united as your people, but also especially united with your son who has given his life on our behalf. Through Christ we do pray. Amen.